go. Rejecting the screen. The Going ISO edition as we do every week. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Out West is Adam Stanka, our guest today. Also out West, Mo DeKeel, a former video coordinator for the Spurs, the Clippers, a writer at Bleacher Report, a podcaster for The Athletic. So, Mo, I want to start all the way back when you were dreaming of being a college basketball coach. What turned you <laughs> off from college basketball and led you to pursue the NBA? Well, I think the the big thing is like when I was in college or, or, or going into college, I'm like college basketball is so much more pure. It's the purest form of, of basketball. Then when I got there, I realized, wow, coaching isn't so much coaching. It's recruiting. It's making sure kids are going to class. It's so many other things beyond just focusing on basketball. And, you know, from, from that aspect, I was like, man, I don't want to be some 45 year old guy who's got a kiss up to some, you know, 15, 16 year old kids hoping he's going to go to college, go to my college and sign with me. Uh, and, 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 and not just him, but his entire family, his crew, whatever the, the entourage is in that instance. And for me, I was just like, man, that's probably not my route. Also, because I'm very competitive, I'm 100% sure I would have gotten caught cheating. <laughs> That's the quickest I, I, answer. I mean, let's just, well, if you put it this way, if, if I have to sign this kid to guarantee that my team's going to be good, which is going to guarantee my contract and can allow me to continue to put food on the table, I'm going to do what it takes. <laughs> have you, have you ever, gone down some deep thoughts into how creative you would have gotten into cheating methods aside from just the the classic cash in a duffel bag have you gotten really creative in your mind no I'm, and, and 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 partly because i i also know i'm dumb enough to get caught like it's it's even it's, i would probably do something too creative and end up committing several federal offenses and then it's not that i'm no longer going to be uh, allowed to coach in the NBA, but I'll be coaching in the, uh, you know, prison system and maybe not what I wanted to do. And, you know, I just said, you know, this is probably, uh, not, not my, uh, not, not the proper route for me. (laughs) In terms of the, the talent, when you were at USC, um, Nick Young was there, but, but there are two other guys that I was familiar with because, I had been covering the high school scene before they even ended up in college, and they were both really notable high school players. Gabe Pruitt and uh, Lodrick Stewart. People may remember Lodrick and Roderick Stewart from from Seattle's Rainier (laughs) Beach who played with Nate Robinson. Um, Unbelievable dunkers. I was curious, like, what kind of things stood out to you from watching them play on a daily basis? Well, I think, you know, I want to start with Lodrick. I think it was just, you know, as a freshman, like he, just his ability to shoot, like he, he had a stocky frame, he's built like a truck, you know, and, and, and his ability to shoot and just score, I thought was pretty impressive. Um, with Gabe, it was just his smoothness, you know, like him on the court and his ability to kind of just, you know, handle everything relatively smoothly. And it looked like it came easy to him. On a side note, as a manager, I beat him in a game of one-on-one and then chose to never play again. Um, Strong. You know, and, you know, it was was a game to three. And then, you know, as soon as he said rematch, I was just like, nope, I retired. Um, That was kind of that. And then Nick is, first off, just as a human being, he's he's hysterical and, and absolutely absurd. 
But as a player, again, it's it's along the ability of just being able to to get into the paint and score, especially with that skinny frame that he had. Like it 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 really made a difference for him. And and between the three of them, I mean, he was the only one that had a cup of coffee in the in the NBA for a bit. Seeing the three of them and where things were when they were high school guys compared to college, and then it sets up their sort of NBA futures. I'm just curious as to what you may have learned in terms of evaluating players as you, as you view it in terms of what makes a good NBA player that oftentimes like the hype machine doesn't pick up, but NBA scouts, GMs, execs understand all too well. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's really just the starting point of like, it's really hard to make the NBA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no kind of, no, no, no kidding. Cause these guys are talented. And in high school, you we would have thought all of these guys are going to have, long NBA careers, you know, or at least have a run for a while in the, in the league. And I think, you know, the, it's a lot of it has to do with, you know, what what scouts are looking for is kind of how these guys deal with adversity, how they deal with, you know, problems on the court, off the court, how they kind of just handle themselves. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys in the world right now that are completely skilled enough to play in the NBA have the talent, but have never made it for a variety of reasons. And that could be, you know, just never really had the will or the desire or the, um, or the proper coaching and, and put in the right situations. There's so many different variables that go into making it into the NBA. I mean, you know, if, if who knows, if, if, if Lodrick Stewart goes to another school off the bat and, and, you know, shines right there, maybe he does get a, a, uh, opportunity to go to the NBA instead you know he goes to SC we we struggled that that uh, his freshman year we struggled throughout the whole time he was around and and it was a, a problem and, and 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 that kind of sort of depressed his value a bit so you know there's just so many things at him that go into like how does this work and how does it lead to to becoming an NBA player and and, and I think scouts just kind of have to be a careful observer of watching and looking at guys going like, not just will their skills translate to the next level, it's, you know, will they mature enough to be able to handle everything that comes with being an NBA player? So knowing, Mo, both sides, college and the NBA, can colleges do anything more to harvest those traits of a player? It's hard now, man, you know, especially because, like, if you're a good player, you're gone, and you know, after your freshman year. You know, it's, 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 we're in the era of one and done and eventually we'll get rid of the, the the NBA will change the rules and we'll have kids coming from high school again. You know, it's, it's difficult. It's kind of just creating that environment. And I think, you know, say whatever, you know, I know he's a polarizing figure, but, you know, Calipari has done a great job, you know, of, of kind of creating that environment. And he has a history of putting guys into the league, you know, and, and he's a hard coach and he's hard on these guys. He yells at them. He's tough on them and things like that. And they're not always showing their complete skill set at Kentucky, but he knows how to be able to get them to the next level. And I think he's just honest with the kids. You know, at a certain point he goes, you know, look, you got to go. This is, this is your opportunity to go to go in the first round. You got to take it. You know, you come back, you're helping me, not helping yourself. I think that's kind of, the stuff I think college is just it's it's a t- it's a kid to kid thing. I don't know if there's one thing I'd say a college could do that can guarantee, you know, an opportunity that that makes it that makes sense really. 
Yeah, it's interesting. To further that point, I know Calipari often tells guys, hey, we're not only not only are we getting you out as soon as you're a first round pick, but oftentimes, hey, I, letting high school guys know we're forcing out the guys that are there um, mm. and pushing them to go. So we're freeing up a spot for you, which is such an, an interesting way to do it. Mo, I know when when you were at uh, SC, you had the opportunity to be a ball boy for the Lakers um, and have have some chances to do that. What's your favorite ball boy Lakers story? Oh, I got a bunch of them. Some of them I probably can't share. Uh, in, in, yeah, you can. In, you in, can. <laughs> yeah, let's lead, let's no. lead with those. <laughs> let, let's 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 not. Um, I'll, I'll I'll go with try. One of my favorite ones was. Uh, we were playing uh, the the Lakers were playing I forget who in San Diego, and it, it's preseason. It's a pretty rundown arena, um, but Kobe misses a shot at the end of the game, and he's upset because he thinks there should be a foul call. And I, before the game, and this is before Donaghy and the whole you know the, the there's a, it's not allowed anymore. But like referees would have you know, charities or whatever. And one referee had a Kobe jersey that he needed signed for his charity. And Kobe, he already worked it out with Kobe and his group. Kobe knew after the game, somebody was going to give him this jersey to sign. And apparently that was going to be my job. So after the game, I go to the referee, I grab the jersey. Um, I go to Kobe, you know, and, and Kobe's pissed. He's pissed at the refs because they blew the, the, he feels like he should have gotten a foul call and gotten to the line. And he, you know, he signs the jersey and he just says, and not the nicest words, um, tell those guys that I understand it's free season for them now as well. I expect that call in the, uh, in the regular season. I'm like, oh boy. Um, walk into the referee's locker room, I hand the jersey to the ref, you know, and I go like, this comes with a message though. And like all three refs kind of perk up and they, and they look at me and I say it word for word. There were a few curse words in there and things like that. And, and, you know, one of the referees goes, tell Kobe he is not allowed to jerk it off eight times and think we're going to give him the, sh- give him the foul call. Cause he goes you know, that era where Kobe would just pump fake 15 <laughs> times, get a guy up in the air and then go up with it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So now I'm walking back and Kobe's doing media at that point. So I just kind of, you know, do some ball boy stuff for a second. Then, then I, I keep looking to see when media is done with Kobe and it seems like they're never going to go away. So I kind of just stand nearby. And, and, you know, when they park, Kobe looks at me. I go, like, they have a return message. And I, and, 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 and I tell him that. And, and, and I forget what he kind of said, but he just said, no. He's like, tell them this has to be called. So I, and he's adamant about it. And I'm, listen, I'm at this point 21, 22 years old. I'm not going to say no run in the locker rooms. I tell that to the rest and the referee says, no, 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 just, just tell Kobe to forget about it. Just ask him what's he going to name his kid. Cause it, it was just announced that his, his wife, Vanessa was, was pregnant. I believe it was their first child. And I go running back to Kobe and I tell him that, and he just kind of says, it's not going to be named after any of them. <laughs> and I run back and tell it to the rest. So I was just kind of a messenger boy back and forth with the, with, with, with Kobe and the officials for a preseason game one night. It was pretty hysterical. <laughs> I thought initially when you started the story, I thought Kobe was going to write all of that on the Jersey that he signed for the charity. <laughs> that would have been pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Do 
Do players tip ball boys? Yes. Um, you, you know, it, <laughs> a couple funny stories from it. So I got lucky. I got to set up, basically bring a group of my friends to do these ball boy games, the ball boy these games that were outside of Staples Center. For whatever reason, the Lakers never brought their normal ball boys. They would basically contract out the rest of us. So, you know, it, it was me, a couple of my friends, and we would all go, you know, to whatever, the games in, in San Diego, in Fresno. In, uh, we got to do Vegas one night, which was super awesome. Um, you know, and, and, and all of these little little games. So, you know, I think the, the, the luckiest I got was um, before the game, I think it might have even been that same game in San Diego, uh, Devin George walks up to me and says, hey, um, I don't like any of the food here. And he wasn't playing that night. And he was, you know, can you run across the street to Chili's? I've already placed my order. Can you uh, pick up uh, my, my order? I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. So I run across the street to go pick it up. He gives me, you know, $100 to go do it. I give, you know, I pay for it or whatever, come back. It's like 20 bucks. You know, I come back, I give him the food and I give him the change. And he's like, no, no, no the change is yours. So, nice. you know, I scored an $80 tip. Coincidentally, oh, yeah. that night, my buddy got stiffed by, uh, I'm not going to blow up the player, but he got screwed by a star player um, on, a, on, on the opposing team. And, and we were driving back from San Diego to L.A. And, and he was so angry. Right, because like I had just gotten eighty dollars for walking across the street, and he had done this whole elaborate setup to make sure the entire team had chicken fingers, fresh from the concessions, all the ketchup in the world, all the barbecue sauce in the world, um, and the player kind of stiffed him at the end of the night. Mm. So from that point on, we decided that we were always going to pull all our tips together and then make ah, <laughs> it off evenly. Um, but you know, and, and you also get taken care of by the other by the teams. The team equipment managers for both teams usually will, will, will give us a big tip out, um, you know, at the end of the night as well. So uh, it was always, it was just kind of one of those uh, instances, but uh, yeah, they, they, they tend to take care of the ball boys pretty well. So you're able to tell these types of stories now, but when you're working for, when you're working for an NBA team and as you get into the, the video rooms, how do you keep things in house? when everybody on the outside, especially the press, wants to know things? Yeah, so I, it's funny because it's come back to bite me uh, in the butt now, but I kind of made a point in my head mentally of like, I'm not going to get caught talking to the media. I mean, nobody was, I didn't have a ton of amazing, like the stories the media was looking for, like sources that can give them the insight of who we're trading for, who we're looking at in free agency, what's going on in the locker room. I just kind of made a point of like, I'm not, I'm not going to be visible to the media. You know, I kind of just did my work in the video room, did what I need to do in the locker room, was on the court from time to time, but I rarely ever talked to anybody in the media. And it was funny because like, I was actually uh, friends with J.A. Adande before I started all this through some other friends, you know, kind of met him and, and, and he actually was a professor of mine at USC at one point. So we, we knew each other. So every now and then he would stop into the video room to say hi and him and I would chat for a few minutes, but I would always be looking around going like, who's watching? Am I going to get mm -hmm. in trouble for being a source of some sort? And that was pretty paranoid and stupid on my end. 
Um, because lo and behold, I leave the NBA and try to enter the media, but I have no media connections <laughs> <laughs> after that point. Um, so the, uh, but you know, you, you just kind of, you gotta be smart with it. You know, um, teams are, teams leak things and, and they know who they want to leak stuff to. And, you know, if, if, if you're leaking things, you know, that's a good way, especially teams that the team doesn't want out you know, you're, you're going to end up getting caught at some point and you're going to end up getting, getting fired and having a bad rep throughout the league because they know that you don't have the ability to keep your mouth shut. On the, to that end, Mo, when you were working with the Lakers, um, it was interesting because we, we talked to Jeff Perlman fairly recently about his, his book, Three Ring Circus, about, about the, the Shaq, Kobe, Phil, Phil Lakers. When you're working with the Lakers – he was doing background and the the statement always is, Oh, you interview everybody, including the ball boys for sure. Um, Is there a story or what, what story was, was sort of permeating there that, that you guys all knew within the organization and maybe you were surprised that it it actually never got out. Well, we got to be clear here. Like I wasn't part of the organization. I was a contractor for like three or four games. Right, and then preseason. After that, they would not, they wouldn't see me until the next year. So I, right. I didn't have I didn't have that much insight. You know, like if Jeff Perlman called me, you know, for 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 story, I'd be shocked because I'd be like, how? Like I was there for three games a year. Like I'm I'm the most useless person for you. Um, <laughs> I've got a referee story for you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I got this fun story about a referee and running the chilies for Devin George. You know, or. Or, or having a buddy having to run to sports chalet to get socks for Rick Fox. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's silly stuff. I didn't, I wasn't there for the, the, the meat of it or there every day. So I probably wouldn't have been a guy. I, I don't have anything plain and simple. Like I just, I was a contractor for them. Now, if he wanted to ask me stories about the Clippers and the Donald Sterling era, I had plenty, you know, well. or, or I mean, him, him, there's a story, and this is pretty well known, but after a game, you know, he comes storming into the locker room and, and it really is just going after everybody and, and, and making comments and stuff. And he's turning to Mike Dunleavy and saying, I want to trade everybody. Everybody's gone. Like, he's going nuts. And the whole time, he's looking for Baron Davis because he is furious at, at, at Baron Davis. And, and, the, the funny thing is the way the locker room was set up, Barron's locker was actually behind him. So he could never find Barron that entire, <laughs> that entire rant. So he goes on this whole rant and he's looking for Barron. Like you could see him kind of looking, but he never turns around and, and, you know, and, 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 and fair enough, you know, and, and he's going after rookies. He's just, he's tearing people apart. So that, and then he storms out, but he never found Barron, which was hysterical. <laughs> Well, question then on, on downselling, and, and it's a question that we've asked other players who have played for the Clippers, and you having been employed by the organization, knowing who he was, did you ever feel reluctant to take that paycheck? Were you reluctant to take a job with the Clippers knowing who Donald Sterling was? Hell no. There's only 30 of them. There's only 30 mm-hmm. teams, you know, and, 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 and I get it. And maybe it's a little bit different now in, in the environment we're in. 
but there's only 30 opportunities. You know, there's only 30 video rooms. There's only 30 head coaching jobs, only so many assistant coaching jobs and, 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 and trainers and all this. We all knew who Donald Sterling was. You know, we all knew that he was a slumlord. Like, we all knew he was racist. We all knew he was a womanizer. But it wasn't like um, – but there was just no other opportunities. And, and, and the thing is, there are several team owners across every, every league that are probably like that to some degree, you know. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I just think there's so few opportunities. You know, you just – you kind of just got to deal with it. Now, the truth is you don't fall in line with doing what – you know, you don't act like them or, or, or accept it if it's done to you or anything like that. But it wasn't like, you know, um, like I never experienced it from him in any sense. You know, like, I mean, he probably couldn't find the video room if he even knew what it was. Um, you know, and, 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 and I don't think it was – I think it's always a tough question. People are like, well, how can you, you know, pay uh, work for him and, and – and, and make money for him. I go like, I, there's only so many opportunities I have, you know, I don't have that control. And wherever I go, the next owner I go to, I can't just, I can't just decide based morally on what they do. If I'm going to make this, make this a career, I can only take care of me and do the best I can as a human mm-hmm. being. And I don't think it's, I think it's always tough, you know, like you're not going to ask uh, uh, any player, you know, to turn down the money you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and set up your family for life. Uh, if, if, you know, but it's coming from Donald Sterling, so you're not going to take it. Yeah, it's a tough, tough situation. And I think I, I would be shocked if anybody ever turned that down. Yeah. It, the one thing that's interesting also is when he's the head guy, and as you point out, wouldn't even be able to find the video room. We've all been around executives that we know just are so detached from, from the rest of the organization. How did it impact, especially because you later go to the Spurs, how did it impact the leadership and organizational structure of the Clippers at the time? Well, I mean, what it was, was we knew what we were up against with Donald Sterling, you know, in terms of an owner. We knew that there were certain things money-wise, because he's, he's, he's a tightwad. Like, we weren't going to be able to get a lot of things. You know, we, we were at that kind of disadvantage in terms of equipment and things like that. So, you know, leadership wise, it was interesting because it was like, I rarely saw him, you know, like it wasn't, it was not very often that I would see him, you know, it's not like Mark Cuban who's there every day, you know, at every game behind the bench or, or, mm-hmm. you know, at practices or whatnot, like Sterling was very much a absentee guy. He would just show up for games and then leave after the games, you know, it wasn't much more than that. Um, you know, the most I saw him was on draft night, you know, where he's, he's there in the, in the draft war room and, and we're explaining things that, you know, the, the general manager and stuff's explaining stuff to him in terms of what we need to do or, Hey, we're, we're, we're interested in buying this draft pick. Are you okay with this or whatnot? But um, in terms of leadership, we never looked to him as a leader. You know, I think when the whole fiasco happened you know doc rivers kind of just said like when i was growing up i never dreamed of winning a championship for the owner Mm -hmm. you you know and i think that's kind of the thing like these guys when you win a championship for the most part it's for the guys on the team it's the coaching it's it's the players obviously it's the coaches you're with it's 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 the people you deal with day to day most organizations it's rarely the owner you deal with so it's not like that that le- that's where that leadership comes from and you bring up the spurs like you know when i was there 
I can count on one hand how many times I saw Peter Holt. You know, and and, and you know, it's in that same sense. So he allowed you know Coach Popovich to 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 really kind of run the team and 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 handle things. Yes, that he had the final say on a lot of in, in in situations, but you know, he he hired guys and he trusted them to do the job. And I think you know that was kind of the difference. You know, the leadership kind of comes in from guys who are there on a daily basis and not so much the, the owner. We were talking about how to keep things in house. And whenever I see certain things leaked to certain reporters, my, my thought is always, well, the ego gets the best of some of the people on the inside. They think that the reporters are going to be able to do something for them. What can a reporter do for someone who works for a team isn't trying to get into the media, but what can the, that reporter do for that person on the team after they've given them certain information? Well, I think it's a matter of like give and take, right? Like sometimes, you know, if, 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 if you're a source that's giving stuff to a, a, a reporter, you know, you're, you're also hoping that they're going to tell you stuff they're hearing. And on the flip side, too, maybe if they hear something that's unflattering or they have some information of an unflattering story, you know, that they'll withhold it, you know, and not run with it and things like that. So there's always kind of like a uh, scratch your back, scratch my back kind of mentality. We also should be clear, I'm not a newsbreaker. Like, I never want to be that. Right. Um, so so it's, it's, you know, it's this is kind of just my view of it. And you kind of always got to look when a story leaks that's favorable towards the guy or unfavorable you got to try to figure who's who's winning in that situation right who comes out with who's gaining something out of this and that's who probably leaked it so there's always kind of an idea you just got to kind of watch and see all the stuff behind the scenes you know if, if um you know and, and 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 the thing is too like the one thing i do know when uh somebody's running a story they always go to the the you know, if they're running a story and they have some stuff on Kyrie, they're always going to go to Kyrie, his camp or his agent saying like, we have this information. Mm -hmm. We're running this story on Thursday. Do you guys want to comment? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But like, I think that's kind of just the game of it. It, it, it. it really is a game at the end of the day. And in terms of what, you know, the people with the sources get out of it, I think it's, it's, it's different. I mean, listen, Adrian Wojnarowski is not getting somebody a job in the NBA. And it's not, you know, like, like oh, you should go hire so-and-so, you know, because the other team is going to look at that going like, well, is he kind of your source? Like, how do you know him kind of stuff, you know, and, and things like that. So I don't know if that's, you know, something that's really out there. Um, I think it's just more kind of just a, a exchange of information is probably the most common thing that happens between the source and, 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 and a journalist. And, and I certainly know, how it all works. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that it's kind of a game a, a back and forth. Did you, since you weren't one who was giving out information, did you ever play the game in your head or maybe with a, a friend in the video room of trying to figure out who the mole was? No, cause usually we, we, we kind of knew. So the only time I was ever with the, there was a situation where something broke that the team didn't want broke was um the the Sean Livingston had basically completely tore up his knee um and you know somebody at one point had had kind of given 
ton of detail to uh, a, a reporter. I don't remember who it was. And he wrote this whole story of, of all the stuff that Sean Livingston is going to have to go through to uh, kind of uh, uh, recover and like, you know, how, how hard it's going to be. And this was pretty fresh off the injury, I think a year after the injury. And I think the, um, and we had a whole team meeting, like a staff meeting and, and Dunleavy kind of laid into everybody going like, he's like that. She goes, one, it was, it was a reporter that wasn't a local reporter. And he's like, if we want stuff leaked, we will leak it and we will leak it to our people. Like this was, this is not, he goes, we didn't want this out there at all. It's not good for Sean. It's not good for us. You know, this just makes us look bad. And he goes, and there are details in there that are only, you know, that only we knew. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, so it's somebody here, like we're not going to go through and, and, and try to hunt down the mole, but just understand that like, this is not what we want. And if we ever catch somebody doing this, you know, you're gone. Like we're going to, and you're going to get blackballed in the league. Like we're going to end you. And so, you know, they didn't do an investigation or anything like that, but you know, it's, it's, it's a dangerous game. Cause it's also affects, John Livingston's livelihood, you know, um, in terms of his career going forward. Luckily, everything's worked out, and I couldn't be happier for Sean, you know. But, you know, it's 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 something that you got to be careful with, and sometimes it's just people like having that feeling of I know something you don't know, and 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 you know, it's 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 sometimes it's just just such a dangerous thing to play with. I I always find that the uh, having the information sometimes I'm like I don't want to know anything. Mm -hmm. right. I don't want the temptation. Right. Don't tell me nothing. <laughs> I'll find out what everybody else finds out. <laughs> I'm in no rush. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that's just kind of the game, the, 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 the challenge behind it. It's a game, but it's also kind of with real life implications for some of these guys. You, I mean, touch on it before, but you go from the Clippers who at the time were one of the worst teams in the league. And then you go to, one of the best teams in the league in the Spurs. And I'm curious from your perspective as a video coordinator, what immediate differences did you see in the organization in terms of why one organization was having success and the other one wasn't aside from the I mean, talent? Yeah. Aside from the talent, it was just night and day. It was a complete 180. It was how they took care of the staff, you know, was something that I was very aware of, you know, um, you know, Coach Pop all the way down, making sure all of the assistants have everything they need. Um, you know, all the way down to the video interns, to to the to the trainers and the trainers interns and things like that. Like just making sure everybody was kind of covered because it it really felt like the philosophy was like if everybody's in good situations, they'll do good work. And I think it was just the the, the care and how involved they were, making sure they knew you know, everybody had what they needed. Everybody was comfortable and in a good situation. Whereas, you know, it just didn't feel that way with the Clippers. You know, the Clippers were very disjointed. It was a very difficult um, kind of uh, setup in that sense of, you know, and, and, and it got better with the Clippers, you know, once, uh, you know, I think uh, when, when, when I returned back, I went back after the lockout and I noticed it was, is a little bit better, but you could just see it with the Spurs of just everybody's there for each other. And then the most important thing was it was always everybody was putting the team first. 
there wasn't really an individual thing. All the coaches, everything that mattered, it was all about what's good for the team, what's good for the players. You know, and if it and if it meant that the coaches kind of got screwed, then the coaches got screwed. You know, and they didn't complain and they just rolled with it. And I think that's something that the uh, unique. It was it was unique. I think this is something that every organization strives for. And I think that was kind of the the ultimate thing was just they they really took the time to make sure they took care of everybody. You know, not just players, but their entire staff. I mean, all the way down to like, you know, Danny Ferry coming to me you know, one of my first few days in practice, you know, and just kind of checking and going like, Hey, I know you just moved from LA, everything good. Do you need anything? What's, you know, if, if you need to know where to get a haircut or whatever, you know, good restaurants or something, let me know. I got some spots for you. Like it was just simple stuff, right? Like they just went, it was just, everybody went out of their way. You know, Danny Ferry doesn't have to talk to the new video intern, you know, it was just kind of one of those things, you know, or, or Dennis Lindsay or, or, um, the top, like R.C. Buford, like all those guys were just there and made sure we were all comfortable and knew what we need, you know, made sure we had what we needed. Now we had to produce and do our job, but like they made it easier. How often were you stressed in that job? Every day. <laughs> it's not a stress-free job. <laughs> you know? How'd you handle it? Uh, you just you just keep working, you know, and, 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 and everybody has different ways in terms of they handle stress. I've gotten better over time. I wish I know now what I knew. <laughs> I wish I know now what I knew then. I don't know the phrase. Yeah, um, the other way, the other way around. You're right. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the the it, it, a lot of it for me was I just kind of bottled it up and just kept working, which which was probably not the right way to handle it. As I've gotten older, you know, you got to find outlets of stress and 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 ways to kind of get that energy out. Um, but it's a hard job. The video room is a hard job. Very demanding. It requires a lot of time and, and, and a lot of focus. And, and, you know, it's, it's, nobody notices you when everything goes right. But when something screws up, everybody's looking at you and you're kind of screwed. And, and there's nothing more you can say just going like, ah, damn, the computer got me. Like sometimes you just, you're, you're, you're screwed and, and you just got to take it as you go through it. It's a hard job though. I, that's why like, you know, Every time I talk to people, you know, or other video coordinators, like nothing but respect for them because I know how hard they got to work to 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 prepare for each game. Mo, what does it look like when you you talk about how how difficult it is, um, and if you screw something up, like what what take us inside there? What does it look like that you're working on and causes these these stresses? What are what are some of the like details? Well, it's always it's always time sensitive. You know, you're always up against the clock preparing for the next game, the next practice, the next coaches meetings. You know, it's always there's always projects that need to get done that 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 it's not something you can just do in in, in free time or put off. They all have, you know, uh, time a, a, a timer on them, and you got to mm-hmm. kind of deliver. And it's it's constantly delivering on goods, basically, and and that's the challenge with it. And sometimes it's beyond your control. You know, sometimes it's um, hey, you know, you got to, you need to download this game, but the download speeds aren't going, you know, you're in the hotel and you, you, you need to get this game for a coach um, while you're on the road, but the download speeds in the hotel are incredibly slow. And, you know, you might not get it to them till the morning. And at that point, it might be too late for the coach, you know, or, or things like that. It's, it's just a lot of stresses that are, that are involved in it that are beyond your control sometimes. 
that that makes it challenging. And you know, for teams, you got to just you know, for video rooms, you know, you just got to kind of deal with it. And and again, it's a twenty four seven job. Like I remember getting phone calls at like eleven thirty at night, you know, with with a coach asking me, hey, we need this, this, and this ready by tomorrow morning. So you've just given me five hours of work at eleven thirty. <laughs> that's that's needed the next morning like okay you know and 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 sometimes it's the understanding of you know some guys don't understand the amount of work that goes into it you know i've had coaches ask me for for stuff in 15 minutes and i'm like yo this is two days of work you know like what you're asking is genuinely not possible um so i think there's 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 just a bunch of stresses behind it And, and and let's be also be honest i haven't been in a video room since 2014 technology has changed. Maybe the job has gotten easier. I don't think it has, but uh, it's still a grind regardless. The, the the technology might have improved things and make things a little smoother, but at the end of the day, it's still a grind. You haven't been in the video room since, since 2014 with the Clippers. Did you want to yeah. stay in the video room? Were you, were you on the path that you wanted to be taking? No, I think I was done. I think I had, I, I, I was, I my, I had run the course in the NBA and I think part of it was, you know, that was Doc's first year with the, with the team and Doc let me go and I didn't have a good year. I dealt with a lot of personal stuff and things like that. I, if I was in Doc's position, I would have fired me too. Like if we're, we're, hmm. we're being all honest, but the, the honest thing was, you know, I felt like I, I was very close from getting out of the video room and onto the bench under Vinny Del Negro. You know, and then when they when when the team let Vinny go, and Doc came in, you know, and 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 all fair to Doc, you know, he brought basically his entire staff with him from Boston, and I just dropped down the 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 ladder several rounds, and at that point I was just kind of like, I'm not sure I want to keep doing this, you know, if it's starting over here or or when Doc let me go, I had opportunities to go to other places. For, with other teams, but I just kind of thought like I don't want to have to start all over again, only to get close and then get knocked back down. It's 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 a tough job, and 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 a lot of cases it's not a high paying job, right? It's not like I was making tons of money doing it. Um, and and I think it just sort of I just kind of at that point just said this was a hell of a run. Eight years is amazing. I'm good. Um, so I think that was kind of kind of it for me like I was definitely done in the video room at that point we see all the stories when guys emerge from the video room I mean obviously Eric Spolstra you see the old pictures of him in there but the one thing it always leads me to ask is like how competitive is it amongst guys as as they're coming up and how much do organizations just like any any job how much do the bosses really know about who's putting in the work and and who's who are the brown nosers? I think here's the thing: NBA coaches have a good sense of uh, who's putting in the fake hustle and who's working. Um, not always, but for the most part, you know. And, and there's and, and what I mean by fake hustle, it's like sitting in the office, but you don't have anything to work on, but just pretending mm-hmm. to look busy. It's the mm-hmm. George Costanza thing, right? Like, look annoyed, and you, and everybody will think you're constantly, you know, crushing it and working hard. So I think the I think there's there's a level I think coaches have and, and, and front offices kind of know who's working and who isn't and who's grinding and who isn't um, in that scenario. In terms of how competitive it is to get that job, guys, I still get emails from people asking for help to get in. Like, 
when I was working in the in the in the MBA, like we would get letters every day from college video coordinators, graduate assistants, from managers, from you know anybody who's trying to get an opportunity to to break into the the, the video room. Like there's an endless supply of people who are willing to do this job, and and I think that's something that it kind of goes back to like why would you work for Sterling? Well, because if I don't, there's 25 people that are lining up here tomorrow to take my job. You know, it's it's a valuable job. There's only so many of these opportunities. So it's super competitive. And it's competitive working your way kind of up even a little bit. You know, you, the video rooms normally are very close, closely knit and tied to each other. And everybody kind of works, you know, together in tandem. But sometimes you do have guys that are looking out for themselves and trying to find ways to elevate themselves and make themselves look better, you know. It's 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 just the way it goes, you know, um, and and it's hard. It's it's just hard to get in. It's hard to stay in, and and, and it's hard to move up from. But you got to. It's it, but it's all a grind. Could a business idea be for you to help train the next generation of video coordinators? I don't want to do that, man. No, don't give me ideas like this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, because <laughs> no, you know the the here's the thing. Nobody wants to be a video coordinator all their life. You know, it's it's a it's it's the mail room for people who never who don't play, right? And don't have the 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 connections. Aren't a former player? Aren't you know somehow running through and 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 and, and connected to this guy? It's 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 the mail room. It's how you it's how you grind. It's the it's 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 that's that's kind of the deal. Like you don't want to be in there, you know the and be there for like 15 years. It's just brutal in that sense, right? Like because it just wears you down. In terms of training the other video people, I don't even know the equipment they're using now. And people will probably argue mm-hmm. I didn't know it when I was working in the video. <laughs> so I might not be the right guy for it. In your in your eight years in the video room, how many of those years did you have a window in your office? Ooh, that's a good question. In San Antonio, we had a skylight. So does that count as a window? Yeah, sure. You can, yeah. I mean, okay, so, you can see outside. Boy, do they, they treat their employees well. <laughs> so we had so, so so in my eight years, I had two years where I had a skylight. That was it. Didn't have one <laughs> with the Clippers. Didn't have one. Um, you know, and, you know. The funny thing is, when I was with the Clippers before I, you, you know, I was there before they had a practice facility. So our video room was Staple Center. Um, so there'd be nights I'd be grinding on a game, you know, and, 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 and working on a game. Meanwhile, there's a Justin Timberlake concert going on, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's hysterical. Cause it's like, I'm in the underbelly of, of the arena and like the bass is so hard oh. that like things are vibrating in the room as I'm trying to break down, <laughs> you know, Charlotte versus Sacramento or something like that, you know, like this. <laughs> And then you have security looking at you going like, are you supposed to be here? I'm like, yes, this is my office. And they're looking at you. Well, you have to close this door. I go like, well, if I close this door, the room becomes a thousand degrees because the servers, are, the computer servers are in here as well. And I'm going to be, it becomes a sweat lodge. And it's like, no, no, we require the door to be closed. I'm like, Jesus, you know, <sighs> so it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun experiences I had just being at Staples Center. I mean, I met Wayne Gretzky um, because the, uh, uh, the the he was the coach of the the Phoenix Coyote, and they were playing the Kings that night, and they were doing a skate around 
kind of the equivalent of a shoot around mm -hmm. um, before the game or whatever. And I'm just working in the video room or whatever. And I have, um, I happen to have like a soccer game up on the TV while I'm working on some college game. And, and he just pokes his head in and just starts kind of talking to me going like, Oh, who's winning? What's going on? Oh, this and that. Oh, it's like, oh I'm, I'm Wayne. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I know you <laughs> <Yeah>. are, <laughs> you know, or, 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 you know, like the, the, the funniest was the, uh, the, uh, Calgary flames were, were practicing or something like that. And they were, uh, in the, uh, they, they, their players were poking into the video room and just, cause they didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, one of them thought I was recording the practice. <laughs> I worked for the Clippers. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell you guys are doing. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, and, and like, and like, you know, I'd get like, one of them gave me a hockey puck. I got tickets that night for the game. Like it was oh, just, cool. like, you would just, it was cool. But like, you would just, it would be funny, random situations because we were working in the underbelly at Staples Center. Once we got our practice facility, life got easier, but still no window. All right. So Mo, we got some, we got some quick hitters for you as we uh, start to close this thing out um, in all the time that you've spent around Clippers, Spurs, the Australian national team, who is the smartest basketball mind you were ever around? Basketball mind. Like when we're talking player or are we talking coaches or can be anyone can be anyone. Okay. Well, I'm not going to go against pop. I think, it, it, you know, um, I think he's just on another level in terms mm -hmm. of not just a basketball mind, but, you know, really kind of knowing one to do something. Like I was kind of amazed with, with the, the concept of him knowing one to push somebody's button, like one to go in hard on Tim and one to kind of joke about something instead with Tim, you know, or, or things like that. And I think all of that kind of translated to the court and how he kind of, change things on the fly and things like that. We don't give pop enough credit in the sense of he changed the way he played, you know, think about it. When you look at the way the Spurs played in the late nineties and early two thousands, you know, everything was ran through the post and through Tim. And then over time he started to hand the keys over to Manu and, and Tony a lot more and running a lot more pick and rolls and things like that. Like, he kind of adjusted with the times. And I think that's something we don't see from a lot of coaches. You know, I think they get kind of set in their ways and then they become very stubborn and refuse to, to, to change with the times. And I think, you know, pop is, 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 has been able to change with things, maybe not as quick as everybody would like. Um, I know he's, he, he, he still kind of stays big a little more often than most people prefer, but that has more to do with the roster. But I think you have to have that basketball mind to see how to make those adjustments and how to make that change. So I'm going to go with Pop. What do you want to be doing in the media? You know, I love what I'm doing now. I, I honestly, I want to be able to um, just continue to sort of point out interesting things in basketball. Um, I think we've in, it, we've gotten away in teaching the game a little bit to fans, you know, in terms of, x's and o's and why things matter and what's the difference i think sometimes you know like analytics has been really great but i think sometimes it's worth we've thrown so many numbers at people they don't understand it and i think we kind of want to show a little bit of like how it what it means you know and 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 there are guys who are doing a great job seth part now and 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 so on of of, of 
kind of explaining what these numbers mean. But I also want to be able to show on the like on the court the stuff, you know, like this is listen, this is a great screen and this is why. I said, you know, he got this shot, but really it's because two plays before they did this and it oh and, and, and it's forcing the defense to kind of have to contort and, and change things and that led to this shot two plays later. Like I want to be able to teach that stuff. Now, you know, if somebody wants to put me on T V or something and do this, I'm more than happy to. I know I don't have a face for T V, but it's okay. Um but I think it's the you know, I just want to kind of keep growing in this media landscape and, and, and continuing to kind of teach the game and just help kind of make the game more more explainable for, for fans. I hope I made sense in that whole phrase. Yeah, no, you you do. You do. It could be good because okay. there are so many complicated terms that you would find would be second nature to you from being around an organization, being in a video room, but when you use those terms those aren't the layman's terms and right. those and everything needs to be communicated effectively. Just like Adam and I were talking about this week about Kyrie, how he said he wants to convey his message <laughs> through the written word. I said, well, <laughs> I think he should just learn how to communicate effectively. And, and, and that would go for someone going from an organization into mainstream press. Yeah. And I just, I just want to make the game more easily digestible for people, you know, like how much of us know, NFL because of Madden we you know because of the plays we've had to run and cover three and things like that and all that I still don't know much because I haven't played a video game in a long time it doesn't seem like I'm ever going to get a PlayStation 5 so may may never play (laughs) one again um but the the you know the just making it easier and football has the advantage with the the play ending each time and the analysts can kind of show you everything that happened but you know, I just kind of want to try to find a way to make the NBA game more digestible for fans. Um, just really quick, I, I just have two quick, quick questions, and, and we'll get you out of here. First was, where were you when Brett Brown offered you a spot on the Australian national team? It is one of the funniest stories. So um, there's no quick answers for me. I'm sure you've realized that by now, Adam. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, I love, I'm the same way, and so is Noah. So we're all in trouble. So it's it's interesting because the way the setup is in San Antonio was you were assigned to a coach, right? Like you know when when you come in, you're assigned to this coach. All of his scouting assignments are your scouting assignments, and you work with him to develop everything. So I get to San Antonio, and Brett Brown is actually in Australia. Um, playing uh uh coaching the boomers against new zealand and they're you know and and he's and that's who i'm going to be assigned to when when he comes when he comes back so during that whole season you know brett was giving me side projects for the australian national now he was paying me out of pocket for that you know he was giving me extra cash you know hey i need an edit of joe ingles minutes in barcelona from the game a few nights ago okay cool you know and 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 I would do that, and he would drop me like a couple hundred bucks. Like it was awesome, you know. And I just assumed that was kind of the deal. And then it was it was just comedy. It was just one day, um, you know, the 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 season had just ended. You know, we had just kind of uh, got knocked out in the second round of the playoffs by the Suns. And he he kind of just calls me over, and he's like, calls me in his office, and he's looking at the calendar. He's like, so I'm thinking you fly into Australia this day. And because we're going to be in the world championships, Mo, we, we, we're, we're going to be in Turkey. So you're going to have to find a ticket to fly out of Turkey 
around this date. We don't know when our season is going to end. It's got to be kind of like an open ticket, like we'll help you with this and, and things like that. And I'm kind of just looking at Brett very confused. I'm like, what, what the hell are you talking about? And, 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 and he's like, he's like, no, like, you know, he's like one of our assistant coaches um, took a job uh, and, 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 and won't be able to, to, to be with the team. And, and I think it'd be really valuable to have a video coordinator with us in Australia. And, and, and I'm like, okay. And I'm still kind of confused as to everything that's going on because this has just been thrown at me in the past two minutes. And he's like, look, I've cleared it with Pop. I've cleared it with RC. Everybody's on board. Everybody wants you to do this. You know, if you want to do it, it's, it's available to you. You know, there's not a lot of cash, but like we'll help, you know, plane tickets and things. And obviously we'll put you up in, in hotels and stuff. And I was like, oh, sure. So that's, that's exactly how it happened was just Brett calling me and going like, I think you're going to fly in Australia this day. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. That, that is so good. Um, the, uh, the last one for me is um, I just wanted to know if, if, you know, what kind of sway you really have with the NBA. Cause I know in October, 2018, you wrote an article where you went into detail about how the NBA should be playing a 72 game schedule. And I, I just want to know, they picked up on that and followed your formula, it looked like. <laughs> not, not, I have zero sway, you know, with the NBA. They, they, they probably barely even know. I don't even think they know who I am at this point, except maybe when I email them asking for a, a, a credential for Summer League or something like that. The, uh, um, but I, it, it, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in 82 games is too many. And we need to shorten the schedule. So uh, it is. It is funny. Obviously, we're going to shorten the schedule this year, but it still feels like it's going to be more compact than normal. Yeah, so I don't no know. If they're, no they're, they're, they're really following my uh, <laughs> my thoughts there. But uh, but yeah, man, I still think a seventy-two game season, stretch it out, let the guys get some rest. I think we'll get a better product on the court. Mo, well, our final question always is: since it's the rejecting the screen podcast, we always ask our guests like that question in the back of the bus when the players used to ask each other the question and you cannot say Jordan. So who's the guy that from your time with the Clippers and Spurs, who's the guy that you would have reject the screen, go ISO, get your team a bucket. Oh, oh, oh God. Um, you know, I'm going with Manu. Manu's the guy. Uh, he's just done it so many times. You know, and, and Manu could be having a terrible game and, and the last two or three minutes, he's going to make four plays to win you that game. And so I'm, I'm just going to go with Manu. And that's hard because there's a lot of guys, you know, I could have gone Chris Paul, um, throw it in the post to Timmy. You know, there's a, there's a lot of guys through my time that I could probably turn to. Um, but I'm going with Manu Ginobili. I like it. All right, you can follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Dakil, D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. I must follow in the offseason, but during the season, you'll learn so much without the pretentiousness that you often find on NBA Twitter. It is a terrific follow and education every single night during the season. And read all of his work on Bleacher Report, and you can listen to him across the Athletic NBA Podcast Network as well. Mo, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. No, no, fellas. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. I'm going to give you the question that I chickened out about asking. Since he's prolific on 
Twitter and, and so many have found out about Mo through his game breakdowns, play breakdowns on Twitter. I was going to ask him, who's the Twitter follow that you really enjoy, but then you met him in person, him or her in Ooh. person, and you thought, ah, this person sucks. There's no way he's answering that question. <laughs> I know. No that, that's why I did it. That's why I did it as. But that, but these are the types of things that go through my mind. Oh, that I'm I would ask that I, that I might ask in person, but not when we're recording. You know, I'll, I'll say one thing about that, and it actually relates to to the stuff. I have the same thoughts, but it's always about. I'm always kind of surprised stuff that people dealt with in the past. It's always guys will always say, "Oh, I have stories about my time with the in the Clippers video room, but I can't share it." And meanwhile, I always laugh. It goes back to that like John Hollinger story where we're like, hey, what's the one trade? And he's like, I can't talk about that when I was with the team. We're like, just give us one. He's like, oh, I've got a really good one. John Salmons was almost. And it's (laughs) like, and look, we love Plymouth White Marsh. We love John Salmons. But that's the thing. It's so funny that, that it becomes so ingrained when you're with a team to be so secretive. And keep everything so close to the vest that even 10 years later, when no one would care, it wouldn't even get a blip as a story elsewhere. We'd have a fun, fun time with it. And we'd tweet it out. But it's not like people would go crazy over this thing now. And people are still always nervous to say that. That being said, I thought Mo was terrific and really opened up about, about his time. And I think it just always, you say it all the time. Everybody's got a story. And his is awesome because you see what that grind is like. And typically the story is I was in the video room and then I went to the next level and I was an assistant mm-hmm. coach. And it's awesome to hear about, Hey, I was in the video room, learned a ton, took that. And now I'm using it. In my second career in the media. And seems like a really genuine guy. Mo and I have corresponded. We, I've, I've had him on the radio. We've, we've spoken, have never met. And he's someone that I, I think I would really enjoy spending time with. So we appreciate all the time. From Mo, you can go back and listen to previous episodes of Rejecting the Screen, the Going ISO editions, long-form interviews with all sorts of folks who have touched the NBA, from Sam Mitchell, Ryan Rosillo, Peter Vesey, Kenny Anderson, Earl Watson, Adam Morrison, Alvin Williams, Mark Jackson. The list goes on and on. So enjoy those anytime, since you won't know the actual timestamp by listening to the content. Frank, I saw unable to join us on today's program. You can check out everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On NBA, five days a week, the national program. Locked On Fantasy Hoops on fire. Josh Lloyd, Hollinger and Duncan. John Hollinger and Nate Duncan with their unique takes. And, of course, your team every single day. All 30 teams every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at Lives. If you're the girl that Adam had broken up with and still went to the Boys to Men concert, and if you don't know that story, go back and listen to Tuesday's episode of Rejecting the Screen. I'm on Twitter at Noah Koslov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best. <laughs>